Since the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic, global health systems have been challenged like never before. As time and resources were directed towards responding to the virus, it was the dedication of healthcare workers that kept services running. Amongst the uncertainty, our hardworking Queensland clinicians have continued their pursuit of excellence, innovating and adapting the way they work to ensure consumers always receive the best care possible. To them, the pandemic was an opportunity to learn and grow and to ensure healthcare delivery continues to evolve to the ever-changing landscape. Because if we've learned anything from the last two years, it is that things will always change and our clinicians will always rise to the occasion. The corporate world transitioned quickly to working from home and endless video chats when the pandemic struck. The transition for our healthcare system, while keeping patients at the forefront, was much more complex. How did our clinicians manage to keep hospitals open and functioning for those who needed them, meet the potential demands of COVID surges, and transition care safely where possible? While I would say dedication and a little creativity, I'll defer to them. Hi everyone, my name is Matthew Brown. I'm the director of the Deadly Ears program and I'm going to be talking about the pandemic in our service, specifically what to do when you run an outreach service and there is no outreach. Our work involves addressing the high rates of middle ear disease amongst Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children and the associated hearing loss that flows from that. This is a significant problem because these kids experience middle ear disease and the associated hearing loss earlier, more frequently, with more severity, and it tends to last longer. One form of middle ear disease that people may know uh, and be familiar with is glue ear. Um, this is characterised by fluid in the middle ear space, but there are other forms as well. And it's significant because this population has the highest rates of middle ear disease and associated hearing loss in the world. It's significant, obviously, because the associated hearing loss affects a range of domains around a child's development. Specifically, when they get it younger, it affects a number of key developmental pathways that often plays a role in sending these kids on a rather negative trajectory as opposed to one of opportunity. And our service is probably well known for its clinical outreach. Uh, we also lead the state's policy and uh, interagency collaboration around middle ear disease, working across the domains of health, early childhood development and education. So our work before COVID-19 struck involved us delivering outreach right across the state, but was pretty quickly rubbed out when we were unable to deliver face-to-face -face care. So obviously things changed. Our outreach calendar in 2020 went from being one of a lot of services traveling to different communities across the state, especially early in the year, but then it was characterized by those services essentially being rubbed out for a significant duration of the year, with one exception to Warabinda. So things changed. Ordinarily, our face-to-face -face clinics, if we're to count the numbers of kids that are seen by an ENT, it looks like uh, the chart on the screen. Um, and our surgical services likewise were equally impacted. But we were busy in 2020 and it's what we did. We rapidly stood up 
uh, and expanded our telehealth service. So we did have a telehealth capacity in the program, but we built on that with uh, obviously a great degree of urgency when the pandemic struck. So 2020, we saw 400 kids, and it wasn't just 400 telehealth reviews. We linked uh, our service to all of our partner locations. Um, kids came to see us within these partner, partner locations from 52 distinct communities, and it involved that 400 figure involved assessments by our nurse, health practitioner or worker, audiology, speech and OT, uh, with kids receiving an ANT review via audiotology. And so here's how we got to that particular position. We rapidly reviewed and reprioritised children based on our most recent findings for them and we prepared our partner services. So we shared lists of the highest priority children with our partner services, uh, including local primary health and Hearing Australia. And we pulled together telehealth kits and sent them out so we could work remotely. We stood up our telehealth and we delivered integrated care, looking at a case history, middle ear assessments, hearing assessments, support for listening and language development, and support for occupational performance and participation. Now this meant we were integrated within our service. Uh, we had nurses and audiologists seeing all of our kids and speech and OT seeing those kids that had particular needs. And importantly, we had to do this and uh, were able to do this because of the significant buy-in from local community health providers and their little telehealth champions, other allied health providers, um, and not to forget the couriers and the transport companies that got our equipment into these remote locations. And it was almost literally a case of trains, planes, automobiles and barges. So let's talk about whether it was effective or not. And we're going to look at one case study out of our service, which was the deployment of teleaudiology. So we trialled this over six months, or at least the, uh, the data that I'm going to show to you today involved a trial between April and September 2020, involving 172 nurse and audiology assessments in 10 of our partner communities. And we're keen to look at how teleaudiology compared with face-to-face -face audiology with respect to access, effectiveness and efficiency. We found that our attendance was highly variable across communities. So in one community, when we rolled out telehealth, you can see that they went from having a, an average community attendance. Now this is attendance of kids who ordinarily have an appointment with us. We normally see far more kids who turn up opportunistically, but this is just simply kids who have an appointment to see us. The teleaudiology tele deployment in this particular community was not a success in terms of attendance. In community B, it was marginally more of a success in terms of attendance. And in community C, we went from a community that had very sporadic uh, attendance to one where it was routinely uh, extremely well attended. So some of the factors where these things worked well for us, um, it was the deployment of a remote health worker who was respected, committed um, by the local community and the local community health service felt a sense of co-ownership in the planning and the delivery of the clinic. It also helped if they had prior experience with telehealth. And we as a service were extremely flexible. We, we enabled multiple opportunities for kids to attend. We scheduled clinic days around the local community's preferences. 
Um, and that the noteworthy aspect with that is that we need to consider that there were significant resource implications with being so flexible, but these were enabled because we weren't delivering any outreach. So we internally had the capacity to be flexible. If you deployed this into um, our current service delivery model, um, we'd be uh, unable to offer the same degree of flexibility. What was good was integrated care with Hearing Australia. So we had joint telehealth with Hearing Australia delegates, 48 appointments in nine communities, resulting in 15 hearing devices fitted to kids, nine of which were new to that particular child, and it enabled integrated care within our service. So that meant that our speeches and occupational therapists were able to, in most cases, participate in the appointment um, that uh, we dialed in. Sometimes they followed those kids up afterwards. And this was family-centered. And the significant engagement meant that these kids were able to have their particular developmental needs addressed. But I'm going to look at the outcomes. So we were particularly interested in the rates of unable to be determined findings, that is kids for whom we were unable to get a hearing finding. Um, and if you look at teleaudiology, we had roughly 13% or 23 kids out of 172 where we were unable to get a hearing finding. If you compare that to our face-to-face -face service, that number is 6%, um, although I will note that the uh, overall number is considerably different. And there were some explanations for this. When we did a chart review, we were able to see some factors. There were equipment difficulties right across the board. Um, a lot of troubleshooting that went into that. Some equipment was damaged. Um, but looking at the, the, the deeper dive, um, if we were unable to do some tests like tympanometry, OAEs, or they were inconclusive, we didn't have a VRA option, which is a, a test that you can perform on extremely young children. Um, likewise, conditioning children to play audiometry had its challenges remotely. And that played out when we looked at the data for slightly older kids as well, who might have, might have been difficult to test. And when we go into the actual test specific outcomes, you can see that it was the behavioural testing, the play audiometry, that was the least successful over teleaudiology. Um, but the objective tests like TIMP and OAEs were the same as face to face. If you disaggregate it by age, you can see that it wasn't, it wasn't as successful for the younger years, especially the zero to two year old age group. It was more successful in the three to four and over five years of age, but it still uh, did not achieve the same degree of success as face to face. We followed up with uh, the remote workers that supported us. Um, we got seven respondents. Uh, generally positive, six out of seven agreed that telehealth made a difference to children and, and families, uh, all felt confident with the required clinical tasks. So in summary, we feel that um, teleaudiology is probably not suitable for the zero to two age group, given that we were only able to achieve roughly 47% of kids getting a hearing finding. Um, but it is most suitable for five plus, um, because of the significant numbers of kids for whom we were able to get a hearing finding. Uh, we can't lose sight of the fact that this is enabled by some local community factors like the remote worker and local co-ownership, 
uh, and our own flexibility in being able to adapt. If families weren't able to attend as per the schedule, we were able to stand up another telehealth opportunity, um, but noting that was extremely resource intensive. Obviously, the integrated care element here should not be missed, um, enabling kids to be seen in generally one appointment um, across a range of different uh, clinical specialties, um, nursing or Aboriginal health worker assessment, audiology, speech and OT. So what does this mean for us? It, it does work effectively, but we need to have some considerations like the age of kids, like targeting um, some smaller lists and having the resources available to run it and be flexible. So as a result, we've incorporated teleaudiology uh, as well as telehealth more broadly in our updated model of care as a means of offering us you know, some flexibility if our circumstances change or, for example, if we have small lists or a need to follow up uh, discrete um, communities for particular reasons. And it was an experience last year of literally um, building a plane as we flew it. So we were testing things live the whole way through, learning, adapting, um, obtaining feedback, changing all the way through this process so that we felt more confident, more comfortable and that we were delivering better care as the process went on. Went on. I would like to acknowledge a couple of groups, um, obviously uh, the fabulous Deadly Years team, um, especially Kate and Shona, um, because I pilfered their teleaudiology slides from another presentation. And not forgetting, we can't do this without the fabulous support of our partner communities, their residents and the health staff. As always, thank you for listening to our podcast and taking the time to learn about the wonderful work of Queensland's frontline clinicians. To continue the conversation, head on over to Facebook and let us know of any pockets of excellence you think deserve to be showcased. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Clinical Excellence Queensland.